The Fontenelle Final Bell Podcast is presented by Fontenelle Hybrids. The solutions you need, the relationships you trust. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. Mike Zuzlo is joining us on this start of the holiday. Of course, he is with Global Commodity Analytics. Let's talk about that uh, green on the screen that we see on the 3rd of July. At least it was in the, it was in the corn and the wheat, Mike. But many folks are thinking, yeah, there's nothing I can do about how these markets are trading. But you say that there is something they can do. Well, I think so. I mean, I think first and foremost, you want to be able to enjoy the holiday and, and cut it free from your thought process, what's going on in the market for the next 24 hours and come back fresh. But I just posted a uh, video, a webinar on my website, and I would ask anybody that wants a trial for free because they listen to the Rural Radio Network, please sign up, just register on the website, take a look at it. Um, I'll send you the slides from that uh, webinar, but I go through specifically what you just asked me, Susan, is what can you do? And here's how I see it. The major thrust I've got right now in my mind is that given that both new crop wheat and corn have remained below their 2016-17 highs, keeps them at or below where we were before the financial crisis. And so we are literally now back to trading in the case of July soft red wheat below where we were during the height of the financial crisis of 2008-2009. Corn in December futures trading right around that same level. So if the U.S. dollar remains trapped in a range and doesn't break above 95.20, and that's a big number for me, if we stay below 95.20 in the dollar index, I'm less worried about more downside in the corn and wheat because I think we've got a lot of trade negativity factored in. And I say this especially in light that USDA came out last weekend and said they will put new demand numbers that reflect trade war problems in their next report. And when we saw that, and we saw President Trump come out and talk about not wanting to do a new NAFTA deal until after the November elections, these two things, I think, is what caused the massive sell-off in this one-day time period of yesterday and this slight recovery we saw today. Now, if you see the dollar go higher, that to me is a deflationary mindset, and it's the market gearing up for a trade war, and that's where the beans have most of the downside, because November beans closing, even though they closed today at new lows, and now we're at the lowest level since December 2011, back in 2009, their trading range was 475 to 790. So to me, going forward, I think that range is possible again. I'm going to say 765 is what I'm saying to clients and what I talk about on that webinar, and I give an, and reasons for why I'm using those numbers. So that's where I think you can do the most good is be in the soybeans on the short side if we see the dollar rally. Well, I understand, too, that there's there's talk about us pulling out of and stepping away from being a part of the WTO. Doesn't that or would that have some ill effects on the grains as well and livestock? Yeah, this is yeah, the great point. This is where history comes into play, in my opinion. Whether you're talking about not uh, coming back in a NAFTA until after the November elections here in the United States or walking away from the WTO, this is what historically has started a negative feedback loop in the global economy and hurt world trade. And back in 1982 that is a great time period to be looking at for me as an analyst and as a historian as well 
because it was back in 1982, world trade declined for a second straight year by about 5%. And that was after 35 years of uninterrupted expansion in the global trade world. So we had this big buildup of global trade uh, in the 1920s, and then it crashed in the 1930s, and it was hard to get back until after World War II. We essentially replayed that again in 1952, 1957. We essentially replayed that again in 1982, 1987. And had it not been for the 88 drought, our prices wouldn't have been nearly as good as they were going into the late 80s and early 90s. And then we had the 93 flood. But it took us about a decade, if not longer, to get back on the track of increasing trade to the point where it was helping the U.S. farmers average price. That's what we're really looking at right now as far as going down that rabbit hole. And that's what I mean by a negative feedback loop. You know, they always say history repeats itself. And we would hope that we would have learned from history and seen what the ill effects it has on the, not only on the U.S., but just on ag in general. Yeah, I, I think this is where my analysis this past winter um, when I was doing uh, seminars and webinars was I felt like President Trump was a lot like President Teddy Roosevelt. He was a populist, and we've talked about this before, populist riding a populist way because of this uh, gruntled American uh, group of, of, of conservatives that had a lot of good points and had a lot of good reasons for why he won. Uh, whether you're Democrat or Republican, it was that was where we were as a country. And one side had seen what they saw as the detrimental effects of the previous president. And so he won in a populist way, much like Roosevelt did. But Roosevelt was also a realist, and he really dealt with things had face up. And he was the walk softly but carry the big stick in terms of foreign policy. I think Trump's exactly that same way when it comes to Syria and North Korea. So running that through, because... Roosevelt was such a realist as well and practical man and president. He didn't push it over the edge to where more bad came instead of good came. And he, he backed away in many cases from decisions that weren't working out. And I think, quite frankly, in my opinion, Susan, that's where President Trump is. If, if he sees this, what we're talking about, and the possibility of this history repeating itself, he knows that his manufacturing base is not going to like the steel and aluminum tariffs. And he knows his ag base is not going to like what's going on right now in prices. Even if he does release $30 billion from the Commodity Credit Corporation, which those are being ta- that's being talked about now by Secretary Purdue, we've still, I figure, lost about $20 billion or $15 billion just in price erosion on the new crop supplies of corn and beans. I'm not even talking about what's in the, in the bins. I'm not talking about wheat or any other commodities. Stick around, folks. We do have more of the Fontenelle Final Bell coming up. We'll talk about July 6th, a looming date for all our markets. And, of course, a little bit of happenings in the livestock trade as well on the World Radio Network. Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. One quick note, of course, markets, as we all know, did close early today. And they will be closed for the Independence Day holiday reopening at 8.30 Thursday morning. So don't be looking for any overnight trade. Mike, that gives you guys, as I should mention, Mike Zuzolo is joining us. It gives you guys a chance to hopefully take a break from the markets, but at the same time get a chance to digest a little bit more of all these outside market influences and how they're going to affect the trade the rest of the week. Yeah, and I think one of the things that we have to keep an eye on, too, coming back from that previous segment is what's happening in the livestock and what's happening with the hog complex specifically. And Even if you don't have a problematic NAFTA trade, 
uh, or a problematic China trade develop, I think some of the other key normal supply demand indicators and spread indicators would say you're running red hot on the uh, on the hog price action right now at this stage of the game, especially in the front end futures, the July and August, especially those summer hog months. I'm very nervous that we're going to have a sell-off in that market in the not-too-distant future. I say that because you've got the cattle hog spread trading at $23. That's the lowest since mid-2014. You've got the hog corn ratio now getting up to close to its 2017 high, which is also the highest level since 2014. You throw on top of that where the August is uh, and the July uh, contract is in hogs compared to the uh, December contract, you just eclipsed $28 in terms of premium in the July versus the December. So the weekly charts are overbought, and you just flat out got a decent price at hitting this mid-80 level again. So I think this is a big time uh, to be really gearing up for getting some hogs hedged. Are you nervous about July 6th? I am, Susan, except when it comes to what the corn and wheat have already done and to the point that because the crop conditions dropped one in corn and two in beans, and I, I would look for that same type of decline again next week uh, if we don't get the, or if the models, the weather models, which are drying out and heating up are accurate. That all of a sudden gets you down to within six or seven points of where we were in good to excellent conditions in corn and get you down within six or seven points of where we were in the soybeans uh, last year. So I think if you have a hotter, drier weather bias, I think you can make a pretty strong argument. If the dollar's not going higher and the market's not causing deflation in the trade, you probably are seeing the market realize that supply uh, is being drawn out of the uh, production side because of weather, and that helps offset what we are going to have to deal with on July 6th that these trade barriers go through. In other words, what I'm getting at is I think it gives you the opportunity to sell on rallies. You're still a seller, but you sell on rallies. And I think I will move my uh, desire to be protected in soybeans especially from July 6th over to the next WASDE report and be geared up for a big increase in soybean ending stocks. No surprise, the, the numbers that we saw in the crop progress report? Um, of, no. of, of Monday night and seeing where we are in development? No, not really. I mean, I think we're slowing down on the winter wheat harvest, but that winter wheat harvest is not getting any better. It's actually getting worse in Kansas. And when you throw Europe and Ukraine and China and the United States and Australia all in the same boat with them having probably less, quite a bit less production than their previous marketing years, I think here again, the, the wheat would be classified as undervalued, and this is where both in 2011 and 2012 won the big drought year. Uh, both those years, this July soft red wheat closed from first notice day in the acreage stocks report, closed higher to sharply higher, and so that would be ideal, especially if we had a softer dollar. Let's jump over to the, the livestock side, and you do, did briefly mention the happenings of this hog market, and they've had some interesting uh, struggles the last couple of weeks, even though we saw some some nice gains trickle in to the trade today. Yes, and I think the big thing that's helped the hogs has been the disease pressure that we had heard about back in the late winter, early spring time period, and that's hitting the market at the exact same time that we're not losing any demand from Mexico. So the weekly export sales are holding up very very nicely in the pork side of the equation. It's just it goes back to what the funds have done to the hog sector in the past when they turn to a net short. And that's what I'm most worried about. Whether it's NAFTA or China, it seems to me the hogs have a lot to lose on either one of those two. 
What about for the cattle market? I know that that today we did see some firmer buyer activity moving into their trade. Yeah, I think you've got a seasonal window of opportunity, but I am watching for higher prices, I should say, for the cash market, and that means the August fat cattle could go higher, especially, as I said earlier, with the feeder cattle now at 152 and the fat cattle trading at 106, you've got a very big premium in the feeder cattle. So if I wanted to be a hedger, I'm a hedger in the feeder cattle here, I would be probably more likely to get ready to hedge October fat cattle, maybe closer to the 112 level, but get hedges in place because I would be worried about increasing supplies of both beef and also pork because of that hogs and pigs report. All right, sounds good. Mike, you've got a lot of information online. What's the best way for folks to reach you after the markets have traded and on the web? best way to go is the web because you can sign up for the trial for free, globalanalytics.biz. If you have problems registering, even though there's a video on there showing how to do it, call me toll-free. I'll walk you through at 866-471-2588. And happy July 4th to you and all the people out there listening. Thanks, Mike. Happy 4th of July to everyone as well. It's the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network.